This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Thursday Night Podcast, special Christmas week edition. My name is Jordan and I'm joined by Brady and David today. We're going to be talking about the bowl matchup with Ball State and really dig in on the Cardinals, discuss the loss of offensive coordinator Brad Glenn, and look at the week that was in men's basketball. We'll also take on some listener questions, but first... Brad Glenn, as you undoubtedly have heard by now, will leave his job as Georgia State's offensive coordinator to accept a position at Virginia Tech following the bowl game on Saturday. News came down on Thursday cycling through Virginia Tech reporters until the school officially announced the hiring. He'll be quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator for head coach Brent Pry, serving with the offensive coordinator Tyler Bowen. Coach Glenn, of course, will stay with Georgia State through the bowl game, as I previously said. So, uh, gentlemen, thoughts on this? I think this is one of those that maybe people thought had been avoided because it had been so long into the coaching carousel. And so it's like, all right, maybe there's some shifting of staff guys or guys moved on. Like, we don't know exactly if that anything is finished yet as far as that goes. But I think as far as the big names getting poached, it felt like a lot of the staffs were getting filled up. And so... I think on that, in that sense, it was maybe a little bit surprising, and especially right after signing day, though, from all that I can, uh, all that I've heard is it wasn't a shock to the staff or even people who signed. So this wasn't any point of drama where like Coach Glenn was talking to guys one day and the next day he was gone. It seems like completely healthy situation where a guy got a good offer and moved on. And, you know, the truth of it is that's the other part of it he had a lot of success with Jordan state in the three years he was here. And so it was absolutely no surprise to me that other teams were going to be interested. And so an ACC school came in, offered it had to have been a healthy raise. You know, we don't know the numbers on his salary yet, but I'm assuming he got a good amount. And you know, it's a really awesome thing to have happen for a guy who's worked a lot of years in the FCS level. And now the G five level put in the work working up the, the ranks, and now he's going to be a Hokie. Yeah, I definitely want to give some congratulations to him on the promotion. Um, I agree with everything that you said, Brady. When you put it in the group chat that said he was gone, I was like, is he, is he like sick or something? I thought, you know, I, I thought he was going to be like unable to coach the bowl game because of pro- COVID protocols or something. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a huge loss for Georgia state, but you also have to look at it um, from the other angle and just realize when you're doing something right, you're going to have coaches poached, whether it be your offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach, you know, other guys. Um, I can't say specifically that anybody else is going to follow him or, you know, if anybody else is going to go anywhere from Georgia state, but Anytime that you're replacing an offensive coordinator, a couple of years removed from literally breaking records for your offense, like they must be doing a great job. So, you know, again, I want to congratulate coach Glenn on the promotion and, you know, the hunt is on for the next record breaking offensive coordinator for Georgia state, obviously. And like, I guess we can go here quickly and just talk about where the offense is now versus then. And it, this year maybe wasn't as good stats wise as the previous two years, but the fact still remains that it's been a really good offense. The run game just has philosophically changed and just like on a different level. And I think that you can pretty safely say it's a more attractive job right now than it was when he took it. And 
I, I think that you still had had the the bowl game in 2017. And it's not like the offense was totally without success under Travis Trickett, but the players got better. The players got more comfortable in this scheme. And at the end of the day, the players are the ones who are making the plays. But you definitely can't discount that immediately from game one in 2019, when Georgia State went up, put up 38 and beat Tennessee in, Nail- in Neyland Stadium, that he came in and had an impact. And he really, you know, I don't know. Out of you know, I, I'm not being disrespectful to Coach Trickett or what the offense was doing before, but truthfully, if the change doesn't happen, if he doesn't come in and do what he was able to do, I don't know that we're talking about the Georgia State team we're talking about now that's been to four bowl games in five years. Like it had been that type of a hire that has changed one side of the football for Georgia State for the better. I don't even think that that's being disrespectful to Coach Trickett. I just think there was a tangible. Uh, definitive change in kind of the philosophy of the Georgia State offense once Coach Glenn was here, just in the type of quarterbacks that he was looking to have and the success that those quarterbacks were having and just kind of the way that we were talking about a Georgia State team that had never been this prolific at running the ball. And I mean, we week in and week out over the last couple of years, you know, we're talking about a Georgia State team that features in top 10 lists in terms of rushing attack. I know last year they were a little bit more heavy on the passing game when they were using quad and, you know, that's another element that we kind of didn't necessarily see in those first couple of years with, you know, coach Elliott. I think, you know, Connor was good in 17. Um, but I still think that, you know, Georgia state kind of went a little air raidy last year uh, when they had to at times, but you know, this year kind of went right back to that 2019 style of, you know, what were the Panthers and the Panther express is going to be, you know, put on the shoulders of running the ball and, you're going to try to stop it. Most teams are going to be able to, you know, we could definitely attribute almost all of that to just kind of coach Elliott's philosophy and, you know, coach Glenn's philosophy as well. And I mean, they were really simpatico. You could tell they had a similar point of view on offensive football. And so, you know, in that respect, it feels like a loss because it felt like a healthy relationship that was working well. And yeah, I mean, there were definitely times, especially towards the end of last year where the passing game was getting most of the run and uh, a lot of 300 plus yard passing performances for quad Brown, but teams still ended up with 194 per game on the ground last year. And that's the low watermark for Georgia state under, under Brad Glenn. And that's the high watermark and for Georgia state under any other FBS coordinator, like even the worst rushing year for Georgia state under coach Glenn was so far different from the other Georgia State rushing teams at FBS that, you know, it's it's almost a different sport. And that's what Coach Elliott has wanted to bring in, and he was the guy who finally really ushered it in. And I think it's going to be more of the same looking forward. You know, I don't know what the hire is going to be. I think there's a couple of internal candidates that might make sense if they just want to go full on, keep the train rolling exactly as it is. I think it's also possible they could do exactly what they just did and look at the FCS ranks offensive coordinators there that have had success running similar type schemes and bring them in. But, you know, I don't really know what the decision will be. It'll be interesting to see as that shakes out. Uh, but I know the general thrust of it is going to be continuing to do what this team has been doing, maybe finding more success with quarterback play and passing the ball than there was at times this year. But I still think this Georgia State team knows what it wants to be. It's going to be featuring a lot of running the ball, and I think that's going to live on past 
Coach Glenn's time in Atlanta. All right. So, of course, best wishes to Coach Glenn as he moves on to the next phase of his career. We'll be keeping tabs on him for sure here at Thursday night. But now, of course, it's time to focus on that Ball State game coming up Saturday. So as you listen to this podcast, the teams are in Montgomery right now getting ready for the 2021 Camellia Bowl. So who are the Cardinals of Ball State? As we said, they're six and six on the year, averaging 24.4 points a game while giving up 26.5 per game. They've been a streaky team in 2021, losing three straight after winning their opener over FCS Western Illinois, but then winning three straight after that one and three start to get above 500. They then managed just two wins in their final five games, but that was enough to get them to the all-important six wins for bowl eligibility. Senior Drew Plitt has been the full-time starter at quarterback for Ball State the past three seasons. In 2021, he's thrown for 2,248 yards, 17 touchdowns, and five interceptions. His top targets on the outside are wide receivers Justin Hall, who led the team with 61 receptions and managed 613 receiving yards and five touchdowns, and Jashan Jackson, who had four receiving touchdowns of his own and led the Cardinals with 684 receiving yards. Of note is that Hall missed Ball State's penultimate game against Central Michigan and played sparingly in their regular season finale against Buffalo, so his fitness is unknown. Running the ball, they're led by freshman Carson Steele, a big back cut from the same cloth as Georgia State's Tucker Gregg, who has 829 yards rushing and six touchdowns on the year. Defensively, Ball State were just eighth in the MAC with 23 sacks this season, but were second in interceptions at 15 and third in overall turnover margin plus nine. Both inside linebacker Jalen Thomas and safety Bryce Cosby are over the century mark in total tackles with 107 and 101, respectively. So, gentlemen, what are our thoughts about the Ball State Cardinals? That game, of course, 2.30 p.m. on Big Boy ESPN on Christmas Day. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I haven't done that much of disproving my own hypotheses about this game the more that I've looked at it. And I was able to watch a good bit of Ball State highlights in the last week and really kind of dig in and look at it and some of the things that i already thought were true ended up being true and so i feel like i followed the scientific method but it wasn't one of those things where a lot of variables changed it just kind of was what it was and you know the first one is that they've got a senior laden team they've got 33 seniors led by plitt their quarterback who's a senior quarterback and kind of the typical experienced quarterback that you'd expect when he gets time he can make throws when he, you know, he doesn't put the ball in harm's way that much as evidenced by just the five interceptions over 12 games and their receivers are good. You know, we don't know about Hall's health, but if they have both those guys on the outside, they're shifty guys, they get open downfield. If again, Plitt has five, six seconds to throw and pass rushers and getting home, it's a combination that's going to make Georgia state. It's going to put them in trouble. But the other part of it, and this is what I saw in the stats first, and now I've seen watching some games, is the way that teams who beat them were able to play them followed sort of the path that Georgia State's going to want to play. And, you know, that's running the ball, not making mistakes with the ball. And, you know, we talked about that in the few weeks we have talked about this in the bowl game, you know. Three weeks is just a little bit too much time to talk about one game, so it would have been nice to just get the game out of the way last weekend. Another reason not to play on Christmas, but I'm going to digress at this point on that. But it's it's another situation where just when you look at it, you know, NIU is an example. We're able to pull out a 30-29 win over them, kind of down to the wire, and they were able to 
get the run established, and then they were also able to get their passing game going off of the run. And once they had got that established, and I think that Darren Granger is a better passing quarterback than NIU's uh, quarterback, Rocky Lombardi, but he had a lot of success against them passing the ball, and it was a lot of because they were able to get that running game going. Yeah, it, you know, we, we've definitely kind of hammered home a little bit of what this Ball State team is, but, you know, I want to talk about their defense because, you know, you mentioned how streaky they were, and I feel like this is really emblematic of that streakiness. In the first four games in which they went one and three, they got two total turnovers. You know, that's, that's whatever. It's not great, but, you know, it's, it's not terrible, I guess. Their next three games, all wins, they got eight turnovers. I mean, that's great. That's very good. You know, you want to have that happen to you. And then, you know, kind of in the next five games where they went two and three, they weren't as good with the turnovers. They got zero and then they got one in the one of the wins. Then they got two respectively in both of the losses and then four in the last game for a total of 19 total turnovers on the season. That's a really good number. You know, you don't want to take anything away from that. But it seems like they really got a lot of them in bunches in the middle of the season when they were winning games. And I guess what's concerning, if you will, for Ball State is 15 of those 19 turnovers are interceptions. This is not a Georgia State team that, they're, you know, gets intercepted a lot. They don't – if they're going to turn the ball over, they're probably going to put it on the ground at this point. You know, it's not, it's not a team that's just going to give you the ball through the air. And if Ball State's unable to take advantage of interceptions, it's probably not going to go well for them just defensively because they're going to be on the field a lot longer. They're – you know, they – they, as you you know, you've kind of highlighted it. They struggled to defend the run. I mean, I I feel like I have set a magic number for Georgia State of somewhere between 150 and 200 yards on the ground. When Ball State gave up less than there were six games this year where Ball State gave up less than 150 yards on the ground. They were five and one in those games. In on the other side, when Ball State gave up over 200 yards, there were five games and they were one and four. And I mean, you know where this is, you know, this is a Georgia State team that loves to put the ball on the ground. They're going to do it a hilarious amount of times and they're probably going to do it successfully because that, you know, that's that's just kind of what they do. They, you know, they put the ball on the ground 221 for 221 yards a game like this is even after the clunkers earlier in the season, they still put up those prolific numbers. Yeah, and more numbers on that because I was going to bring up a similar point that the actual raw numbers in losses this year, they averaged giving up 218.5 rushing yards in those games. In wins, they gave up 120.5 rushing yards. So there's a big gap. And, you know, the high watermark of that was they, they gave up 213 to Army in the game they ultimately won. And that's a pretty low mark for Army to get on the ground. You know, 213 is absolutely not going to win Army in the way that they run the football so much, win them any games. But, you know, Central Michigan had 285 against them. Toledo had 272. Penn State had 240. And Penn State is one of the lower in division in FBS football in rushing yards. So I don't know exactly what happened there. Uh, they had a lot of success against Ball State that they didn't have against other schools, but I'm not even being controversial when I say that Georgia State's better than all those teams rushing the ball because it's just 
irrevertible fact based on the numbers this year. You know, Georgia State is a top 10 rushing team. David said 221 a game. That's over the average they gave up in these losses. And so if Georgia State's able to get that established, what the precedent shows is Georgia State's going to be able to have some success. And correlation does not equal causation. I'm a big stats guy, and that's when I'm, like lesson number one is correlation doesn't equal causation, and don't let it be so. But I think there's at least a, a, a trend line there. I don't think it's random noise. I think that when teams control the ball like that on the ground and have had success, one, when you're putting up 285 yards like Central Michigan did, probably got some big plays. And Georgia State's had some of those hit in the running game the last couple of weeks. You know, Jam had that 50-yarder against Troy. That's seven points on the board. Big, you know, big swing in the game potentially. And it's just, even when that isn't the case, you know, we've seen it the other way where Georgia State isn't getting big plays, but they're just staying on the field and grinding down. And you've seen games this year where in the second half, as they've made the defense stay out on the field, you can see just the will get asserted. And it happened against Charlotte in that final drive in the, the first win of the year where it's very clearly Georgia State took over that game completely and put it away. And so we know that Jam has the big plays. We know Tucker has the ability to do the big plays. But we also know that they're able to just grind it out and put long drives together. Darren's the same way, part of that as well. And just whatever way you slice it, if Georgia State's able to establish a run, whether they're hitting big home runs or whether they're just doing four yards in a cloud of dust, it's going to add up. And if the, you know, the, the thing that we saw in some of these games later in the year is there were some games where Georgia State wasn't making all those plays and they were getting stuffed on third downs or getting off the field on third downs. So I think you're going to want to see return to more third down success. But the evidence shows when good rushing teams have faced this Ball State team, they've been able to have some of that success. And I don't really see any reason why Georgia State wouldn't be the same way. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I think the other point, too, is just there's not something that this Ball State team does incredibly well besides get those interceptions that I think is something that Georgia State should be worried about. And I, I I don't say that because I just think Georgia State is going to steamroll all over them. No, but I say that, you know, this game truthfully does play to Georgia State's strength and that strength goes away from Ball State's strength. You know, I think that Ball State is a fine team at defending the run. You know, they're not horrible. Um, but I also don't think they're, you know, they're anything elite in that respect either. Um, and I, I feel like that also is important. Like they, you know, on the season total, their defensive numbers are good. Um, but at the same time, though, it's not like they are a team that has just put up a completely stout defense throughout everything. And like that, that absolutely matters. That's that is going to be what kind of sets this game apart from, you know, the games that Georgia State has played or the games that Ball State has played. You know, Ball State has two games where they gave up less than 20 points. You know, their their win against Army, they gave up 16. And then their last game against Buffalo, they gave up three. And, I, you know, those numbers are keeping the numbers nice and neat for them, which is great, you know. But like we said, like the better running teams, the Penn State, the Wyoming, like they, you know, they scored in the 45s. Like that's – I don't foresee Georgia State getting that high. But, you know, with you have a team that's able to run the ball. They've clearly been able to put up points. So Ball State's going to have to find a way to – 
you know, be able to stop Georgia State in another aspect. Or, you know, they're just going to have to be an offensive juggernaut, which, you know, they haven't been so far this year. And, you know, I wanted to flip over to that. And it's the other thing. I promise I'm not just trying to see it in the blue tinted glasses, but the ways that I saw Ball State trying to exploit teams and having some success doing it aren't necessarily ways that have hurt Georgia State this year. And what I mean by that is they run a lot of those like quick screens, the perimeter. They ran a few of like end around types runs where they're getting the ball in the wide receiver's hands on in motion and getting the perimeter. And I think I can count on my on one hand, the number of times Georgia State gave up anything more than a couple of yards or less on those type of runs, because, you know, the outside linebackers and the safeties kind of hold their assignments really well and have just not gotten beat by that type of motion runs, misdirection type stuff. Like teams have pride pulling those out most of the season. And I can't remember, but maybe a couple opportunities where it actually resulted in anything good for the offense. And it's something that it was a, I only went, you know, was able to watch the highlights of a few of these games, but it was something that Ball State went to the well on a few times. I think it's at least something that they try and emphasize where they just, all right, get it to these guys' hands in the backfield, even though they're receivers. And it was something that even on highlights I picked up. So I imagine it's something that they did even on the plays that didn't make highlights. And uh, so I, I don't know that that's something that is design that's going to give Georgia State problems if the defense plays like they have been because it hasn't been the thing that's given them fits. And I think that uh, Carson Steele's the type of running back that John Elliott would love to have. He runs hard. He hits holes. He waits for the runs to develop, which is a skill that Tucker Gregg has also made his own and is a lot of why Tucker has so much success is that he waits for the hole to be there. It's a necessity to be good at running the ball, and Carson still definitely does it in bunches. But, you know, even in spite of not being the biggest defense size-wise, Georgia State's been pretty stout against the run, even against good rushing teams. You've had some big blow-up plays, like Coastal hit on that 75-yard touchdown run that skewed those numbers. But aside from not really being able to manage mobile quarterbacks at times and just a couple of games where, like, App State was able to get some success going running the ball, there haven't really been those games where teams have been able to establish their run up the middle and win in the trenches on the def- against Georgia State's defensive front. And that's going to be a challenge for Ball State because we've seen this Georgia State defense, especially of late, really come on strong. And the front is playing their best football of the year, especially in those final three or so games. And I guess the only reason it wouldn't continue in the bowl game is month off, whatever, but I have every reason to believe the way that this Georgia State team is prepared for bowl games in the past that they only use this time to get better. We definitely saw it in the bowl game last year where defense played a hell of a game against Western Kentucky and just didn't give that offense any type of chance. So I guess we should move on and, uh, you know, talk about some basketball now, I suppose. Yes, and uh, pulling the lid back, it's just me and David now. Uh, We are recording this basketball portion of the podcast Wednesday morning, right after Georgia State's 72-62 overtime loss to Georgia Tech. Uh, Just the way the week shaped out content-wise, this is sort of when we had to do it. We didn't want to bring you a podcast where we didn't talk about the basketball games that happened, but just different schedules. You always know how the holidays are. This is how it had to go. And going to kind of just end up being a post-game show 
for this portion of the podcast about the Georgia, Georgia Tech loss. Um, but I also wanted to mention Georgia State did play Tacoa Falls on Saturday. They beat them 92-44, and that was a game that I was at. I was covering it live, and I saw it, and I saw that there were maybe some things, especially with just focus, that maybe was going to trend towards Georgia State having a game playing close against Georgia Tech when maybe after the Mississippi State loss, that wasn't going to be the expectation. And it did end up playing out that way. You know, Georgia Tech ended up leading by seven to the break in this game, but they led by as much as 15. And Georgia State closed on an 8-0 run to cut it to seven at the break and then took over the game in the second half, really, and uh, forced a lot of turnovers, clawed back in, to the game and finally took the lead 47 46 with just under 11 minutes to go on a Corey Allen jumper. And they stretched that lead to as much as six and uh, held it the entire way until 10.4 seconds on the clock. Jordan Usher hits two free throws to tie it at 59 Corey Allen three pointer at the buzzer doesn't go. And in overtime, Georgia tech outscores Georgia state 13 to three win it 72 62 Georgia State finishes non-conference play at six and five. They'll head to the Arkansas schools to open Sunbelt play starting next week. And, uh, you know, David, we were watching that game. Just what were your initial thoughts now that uh, we're here talking about it? I feel like the, the Panthers did both a good job of kind of calming my fears and kind of reassessing them at the same time. Um, that run in the second half was really encouraging to watch. They kind of fought back in a way that, you would expect, especially coming off of that Tacoa Falls game where the offense really kind of felt like it was capable of scoring points, you know, like we expected them to. And then there were other times in the game where I just felt like Georgia State could not buy a bucket, you know, um, specifically Jalen Thomas, you know, bless him. And, you know, he was very effective on the defensive end, I thought. He, you know, he was getting open looks and trying to hit them and then just brother could not buy a basket today. Um, you know, he finished with eight points. He went three of 14 from the floor. Um, and, you know, I, I want to say that he looked good doing it because I, it's not like he was, you know, wildly missing, you know, shots were just barely missing, you know, and I, I think that's kind of emblematic of a lot of other guys. I think Georgia state really, really struggled shooting around kind of the midway point of the paint and closer, you know, there were a lot of layups that went, kind of in and out a little bit, you know, guys just not being able to finish in the paint. And I mean, I can honestly say that that was the difference maker to me, both in the second half and in overtime, you know, Georgia state had a lot of opportunities to put that game away in regulation. And even in the first half, I thought that Georgia tech just took advantage of kind of some sloppy or Georgia state play, but Georgia state also wasn't getting any of the 50, 50 balls and Georgia tech was kind of shooting a little bit outside of their shoes. And, you know, it looked a lot worse in the first half than it necessarily felt like it. But in the second half, kind of the luck reversed for Georgia state and, you know, their defense was able to force an absolutely absurd amount of turnovers for Georgia tech. Um, you know, I, I believe the last number I saw was something like 12 second half turnovers that Georgia tech had. I mean, that's insane. Like Georgia state did an incredible job in the second half and, you know, and you pair that with only four second half turnovers for Georgia state, you know, that's why they got back into it. But 
you also have to look at it from the perspective that their field goal shooting just it was not where it needed to be. And, you know, unless this team is going to be in the 15, 20 range in terms of made free throws, it's, it's just going to not end up leading to a lot of wins. And that's, you know, kind of what happened. Yeah, you're not going to win many games at all shooting 28% for the game. Like that's just not going to be successful. You know, I tweeted at some point during the first half, you aren't going to win against an SEC school shooting 30%. And it ticked up a little bit. It stretches in the second half and it was around 30 to the point where I thought I might have to quote tweet myself and cold takes me. Cause it looked like there was a chance that Georgia state was in fact going to win a game in an ACC school shooting 30%, but obviously it's not how it turned out. Um, you know, defensively in the first half, I thought that Georgia State was doing a lot of good, and both both defenses really were not really allowing the other offense to find rhythm, find good shots. And what was happening was in the final five, 10 seconds of the shot clock, Georgia Tech was just making a play happen and getting a shot up. And it was 25 seconds of good defense from Georgia State and not 30. And Georgia Tech was making shots and they started getting to a rhythm. And that run right at the end of the half was so important. Reestablished Georgia State in the game, got them feeling good going in the locker room. They continued that into the second half. And they kind of stopped Georgia Tech getting out in transition as much. That was the other thing in the first half, is that Georgia Tech was getting out in transition, just beating Georgia State down the down the court, getting good looks that way. And that basically entirely evaporated in the second half. And uh, that was a big part of it. And just Georgia Tech... I think got frustrated. I think the turnovers started frustrating them. I think just not seeing shots fall frustrated them. And I think Georgia state, their mentality frustrated them. And that's a credit to them. It's, it's been an area that we've really thought Georgia state needs to improve in. And so even in a loss, if you want to look at it from just an objective point of view, seeing that defensive performance was a really important thing for Georgia state. And now you see that that's a team that this Georgia state team can be, and that's going to be important for, going into conference play because, you know, end of the day, I don't think Georgia Tech's the best team in the world, but they probably are on paper the most talented team vis-a-vis any team in the Sun Belt and probably still a good bit better than most of the teams in the Sun Belt. And you were able to assert your will on them for a large part of the second half and just down the stretch, you know, Michael DeVoe had a really bad day, but Jordan Usher picked him up. And just down the stretch, Jordan Usher kept making plays, kept getting the line and kept making most of his free throws and shots from the floor and overtime. And, you know, that's what happened is just when they needed someone to step up, they got one of their seniors to step up. They made the shots and it just seemed like after overtime started, Georgia state ran out of gas a little bit and, you know, understandable, but disappointing at the same time. And, could have certainly been a win, would have certainly been a win that felt great for the way that it happened and would have been good for the spectacular away crowd that showed up. I, just, I want to shout out the Georgia State fans that were there. Um, I'm not going to do any kind of claims of 50-50 or sports arena, North Avenue, whatever, but there were a lot of fans there for Georgia State relative to the size of the overall crowd, and they were packed together more than the Georgia Tech fans, so... When things started happening in the second half, it got really loud in there for what wasn't that well attended of a game, given that it was nine on a holiday week. 
Yeah, you know, you definitely could hear that energy. And I know that, you know, watching Corey uh, on that run that he went on, you could definitely see that he was feeding off that energy a little bit. And, you know, when uh, Kane was being his pesky defensive self um, during that stretch as well, you could tell that he like Kane's not necessarily the most expressive guy, but you can really tell when he's kind of feeling a crowd behind him. Um, so that was good. Um, I guess kind of... Lo- Looking forward, because I agree with what you were saying. I have concerns about the offense. I do. Um, there are recent concerns. I would say the defense is definitely more of a concern, although it wasn't today. Um, but I also, you know, looking at this ledger, I know that Georgia State's probably not going to go 7 of 23 on layups again. You know, I don't have an average in front of me. Forgive me all. Um but that's 30% literally at the cup. Georgia state is, you know, they're a jump shooting team at heart, but you know, this still guys who can finish at the rim and, you know, you're not going to have Jordan, excuse me. You're not going to have Jalen going three or 14 again like that. You're not going to have, you know, guys just blatantly missing at the rim so many times. So, you know, I think if you clean up with that and, you know, you kind of play a little bit longer of a stretch where you had that intensity in the second quarter, Georgia state will probably still be fine in the Sun Belt, if not anything spectacular in the grand scheme of things. So. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be about taking the positives from this and, putting that forward into conference play because you can't take the positive of a win. Didn't allow that to happen in the end, dropped it. And so it's going to be about, you know, if you can look at what you did well in this game and complement that with things we've seen Georgia state do better, like have better shooting performances, then I think you're going to see the success back on track that you're hoping for. But I mean, you know, Looking at the facts of things, heading into this game, Georgia State was 233 in the net rankings, which a factor of that was scheduling three non-Division one teams. And so those don't count towards anything. So I don't think scheduling just like the bottom three Division one teams would have been much better as an example because they count for net, but they still aren't going to help your net score. I think it's about scheduling much better than Georgia state was able to do or much tougher. Uh, but they, you know, got beat pretty handily in those games that they played against peer or above opponents. Uh, this game, ironically, even if it's a loss, I imagine will at least help a little bit. I think if I understand how the net rankings work, I think it will tick up, but you know, they've got ground to make up to get kind of to where we, we would want Georgia state to be like, they're going to get wins in conference play. And just for the fact that it's against division one teams with not terrible net scores and even, you know, Texas States in the top 100. So if you're able to beat them at home in a couple of weeks, that'll definitely help it. But you've got a long way to go to get up. If you do make the tournament, win the tournament in uh, Pensacola, then if it's a situation where you haven't done enough to help yourself to have good seedings, then we're talking about maybe another 15 seed or worse, the 16 seed Georgia state, which still feels like a loss at this point, because it's not where you want to be. It's not the ceiling that I think fans have been really hoping to see from this team as they've started. Okay. This is a team that can make the tournament and can win games there. Uh, the next progression would be continuing to improve your seed, not decrease it. And so, 
I guess all you can really do at this point, as far as that is, is just win the games you have on your schedule, go game by game, but certainly something they're going to have to do. And I guess I'll close with not an apology, but like, uh, I feel like we're at least a little culpable because, uh, last year, same thing happened where we were planning a late recording session after the Georgia state, Georgia tech played in McCamish pavilion. And last year went to four overtimes mega messed up our recording schedule. Once again, and we were recording about this time of day, uh, then, and it happened again this year where it went to overtime. And so I want to say some of it's just some weird McCamish voodoo. Uh, but we also maybe tempted fade a little bit by just being like, well, this is how it's going to happen. Hope it doesn't go to overtime. And of course it was another nine o'clock tip that went to overtime. So Mia Copa. Next year when it's uh, in the new uh, convocation center, we've just got to make sure that we're not recording on that day just to prevent it from going to overtime again. Yeah, Even if it's a normal time tip, you know, even if it is like just a McCamish thing, we can't risk us being the reason like, let's leave that there. And, I guess the real final thing I want to say is uh, Passner had some quotes after the game that made it sound like they really were caring about budget when they scheduled the two for one with Georgia state and that he wasn't making it sound incredibly likely that it was going to be something that was going to stay on the schedule after they fulfilled the third game this next season at Georgia state. And I just want to say that that's, yeah, that's crap. And that it, it should definitely keep happening. I don't know if it has to happen every year, but they should definitely make a point of that happening because it's an opportunity for both schools to have a good crowd at a road game. And, you know, I would look forward to seeing the Georgia tech fans show out for the road game when it's in the convocation center next season. And I just think it's an easy regional game. That's going to give each of the teams in the game, what they're looking for in non-conference and particularly at this stretch, I think it was really good actually now that the game has been played for Georgia state to play this game at this point in the season. So even if it is the holiday game every year, I just would be in favor of finding a way to make it happen. Don't let the weird power conference in state Omerta thing get to you guys like Georgia tech keeps going Georgia state. Just it's going to be on you guys because you're the ones who are going to be saying no, but don't say no. As much as, you know, I think Georgia State fans kind of poke fun at UGA um, for their lack of ability, the real game that Georgia State should be scheduling is Georgia Tech every year. It's right there. You know, there's quite literally no excuse. It is a, even in the worst of traffic, a 20-minute drive between the two places if you know which streets that you should be taking. It's a game that should be played every year, you know, uh, I know that it's it sucks for an ACC team to be going to a Sunbelt Stadium, but it shouldn't. You know, that's that's just how, you know, when you have two teams of similar profiles in their conference, maybe not similar profiles in their conference, but two teams that are so close to each other, you know, you, you should be playing often just like that. So I also, uh, I, you know, I echo your sentiment that the game should continue going on after next year. Um, that, you know, it should be something that is played almost yearly, if not yearly. Yeah. And selfishly, you know, I did, I it was 11 minutes home for me from the garage I was parked in near the arena to get back to where I live. And so selfishly that's as good as I've had covering Georgia state for a road game. So it would obviously be nice for the local angle as well. You gotta, gotta worry about the media because the media is the most important thing, right? 
continuing our theme with basketball, you know, just before we get you guys out of here, uh, some news this week, uh, Jordan Rawls entered the transfer portal. Um, the Western Kentucky transfer came to Georgia state this spring. Um, and after a very quick stint with the Panthers, he has decided to leave the program. You know, we wish him well, um, the, it's a pity it didn't work out. I, you know, I think that he would have added a layer of depth to the guard rotation for Georgia State. Um, but, you know, obviously wish him well in his future endeavors and, you know, hope he finds a place and, you know, continue to play basketball. Yeah, I think as far as this season of Georgia State, I think that they can weather the actual loss of him right now because it's a pretty deep group of guards. And now I think it's just going to mean guys like Evan Johnson, Colin Morris, he continues to get fit. They are going to just going to play more and the starters are going to play more. You know, Justin Roberts is coming off the bench now, and that seems like a pretty permanent starting swap that I think is going to stay in place. So you're going to have the ability to, to spread the minutes out and it's going to be fine. I think when you look at it, what is costly, I think, is the opportunity cost. And it's kind of a growing thing where now JoJo Toppin came in, Ryan Boyce came in, and Jordan Rawls all came in, got a scholarship that maybe could have gone to someone else, maybe could have been a big guy where Georgia State hasn't been as deep this year, and they've had to kind of play guys in roles they weren't supposed to be playing in, and that's led to some of the struggles. Um, so you can't really get that back. and something you're going to have to look at where you reinvest the scholarship when signing season comes around again. But I was a little taken aback when I saw the news. Um, I guess my thought was just that it seemed like he wasn't going to start this year, but the Jordan was going to maybe have an opportunity to start from next season because Kane's going to be gone. Justin likely going to be gone. Corey going to be gone. And so, minutes will be available for the guards that are in the program next year. And it seemed like the opportunity was there for him to be one of those, but um, he made his decision. You know, he's allowed to make his decision. We definitely wish him luck at his next stop in the college basketball. So moving on one last thing, we've got a question from Mike from Marietta who wants to know in the spirit of the holidays, what is one thing you hope Santa Claus brings Georgia state for 2022? I've got one answer. And I think you guys might be feeling along the same lines here. I want a Sunbelt championship for our men's basketball team to close out the tenure in the sports arena. And they've got a, got a tall task ahead of them to uh, take care of that. But uh, let's see. That's that's what I'm hoping for. What you guys got? Yeah, I mean, that would be a good Christmas present. But I'll, I'll go a little bit more local and a little bit more uh, of a pressing need. Um, some health and consistency. You know, just get this Georgia State team healthy. No protocols of nothing. No bet nagging injuries. No boo boos or anything like that. And then just some consistency and having them play like the team that we know that they can be. Because it's probably they're still a good team somewhere in there. Um, but you know, then we need we'll let the consistency flow, and we'll we'll figure it out from there. I mean, you know, there's there's kind of one more piece in the puzzle as far as the big facilities talk. And so if Santa wants to recognize that Georgia State's been really good this year and have done everything they're supposed to and are on the nice list, like a mysterious benefactor, just slide one of those bags of money on the table for the baseball softball facilities. You know, reasonable low-level gift, just entirely funding a hypothetical new stadium that's needed to get built for those programs to continue to hit their max. You know, if someone could just 
randomly have that happen in the holiday spirit. So thanks, Mike, for the question. We always enjoy fielding listener questions, so don't be shy when you see that question tweet go up. And of course, we'd be remiss to end an episode without sports bits, but this week there's nothing else going on besides the Tax Act Camellia Bowl in Montgomery kicking off at 2.30 p.m. The game will be on Big Boy ESPN and WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. That's all we've got for you this week. From all of us here at Thursday Night, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and yours. We'll catch you on the other side, hopefully talking about a Big Panther Bull victory. See ya! If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, thursdaynight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.